0: Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. When I was about nine years old, I went into a pawn shop I guess it wasn't so much a pawn shop. Those have seedy reputations. It was more of a, of a resale shop, like a, a buy and sell shop. I love resale shops. Even today, I love them. I find the craziest stuff in them. But as a nine-year-old in this resale shop, it was, it was, it was heaven. See, I'm from Wisconsin. And so this resale shop was in Wisconsin. And this resale shop had all the Wisconsin stuff. You know, deer heads and hunting rifles and neon signs. I mean, it was just mesmerizing for a nine-year-old. But then, I saw it. It was in a huge glass case, and the light was bouncing off of it perfectly. It was a glossy jet black, gently used Sega Genesis. See, I never had a gaming system. I wanted this one. Problem was, it was 60 bucks. I don't have 60 bucks and my parents weren't just going to give me, you know, 60 bucks. See, I lived in one of those those homes, those terrible homes where you, where you didn't get everything you wanted as a kid. Like if you wanted something, you had to work hard and save up. It's so un-American. My parents were the worst. So I had to save up for several weeks to get this Sega Genesis. I mowed lawns, I took care of an old lady's disgusting cat. There was a nasty cat. I watered my neighbor's flowers and finally after weeks of work, I had the money to buy the Sega Genesis, and I did. I was so proud of the day that I brought this home, plugged her in, played some Madden '95. That was the best game, Madden '95. You remember these game systems, though? It wasn't just Sega. It was like Nintendo and and Game Boy, you know, N64. Oh, these were these are the. Remember when they would? Uh, remember when they would glitch? You'd be playing, like, uh, Sonic with your friends, and then all of a sudden the, the game would just, like, pause, or, or it would, you know, go into a loop, and the music would be in a loop, and, and then you'd have to, you know, turn it off, and, and either, like, take out the cartridge, remember this, and you'd blow in it like, like, a, like a wizard with, with magical breath, or you'd have to hit the big old reset button on the game. And that big old reset button would stop the whole thing and, and reboot the whole system, clean the glitch, and, and then you could go ahead and play again. 2020 felt like one big long glitch, didn't it? We were frozen in quarantine. We weren't ourselves. I mean, virus and riots and elections and panic. I mean, 2020 just felt like this crazy glitch. There was, there was no playing for us last year. And now here we are, 2021. Is the glitch over? I don't think so, because if you look at just the news this last week, we're still glitching. We're still on the fritz. And maybe it's time that you and I, we all hit that reset button, reboot the system, and find a, maybe not a new normal, but a renewed normal. See, as a, as a church, for the most part, we take a book of the Bible that's what we do all the year, and we slowly walk through a book of the Bible. We dig into it, we, we unpack it, we figure it out, we wrestle with it. Whether we like it or not, we wrestle with it, and today we start a new book. we were starting 1 Corinthians today. Like the reset button on a Nintendo, 1 Corinthians is like the reset button for your life. And as we'll see, these next few months, this book addresses all of the glitches in our lives. Relationship glitches and attitudes and family problems and disagreements and financial messes. That was 2020 for us. I don't need to show us the graphs. That was 2020. So many of us are bringing into 2021, we're bringing those glitches, addictions and and relationship messes. Unfortunately, it's not going to be as easy as hitting a reset button. But in our hands. We have a roadmap from God that confronts the different problems that we picked up last year. And I believe these next few months, God will redeem a lot of your mess, a lot of my mess, heal some wounds, and start this process of moving forward. You up for this? I hope you are. Let's get it. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. We start in chapter 1. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me pray before we jump into this. And I do hope that you grab a Bible, whether uh, you, know, you, you have one in, in your house or, or whether you just grab your phone. But I really hope you have the Bible because I really want us all to be on the same page together. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to pray before we jump into this. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you care enough to, to give us your word. This is your word. And may we remember that as we study this. This is, this is from you, straight from you. And so, Father, we, we ask that, um, that, that your Holy Spirit illuminate this text to us. This has the potential to change our lives, and so many of us. I would say all of us need that. As a God, we, we ask that you speak to us. We are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I, I'm going to use the TV to, to project a lot of the verses for the most part, but uh, I just want to read these, next, uh, these first few verses, and I hope you have your Bible in front of you. Uh, verse 1. Paul writes this, he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, the church of God that is in Corinth, to the sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace and peace. Now let me just stop here. Why do we do this? you ever do that when you're reading the Bible? You just like stop for a second. You're like, why am I doing this? Like, who's Paul? Who, who's, where's Corinth? I mean, doesn't it sometimes feel like we're reading somebody else's mail? And not just somebody else's mail, but like ancient mail. All these people, forgive me, but all these people are dead. Why are we reading this? Why, why do we do this? It's like on uh, the metal cabinet in my, in my office uh, I have a 70 year old postcard of the Union Building in, in Madison. It's right off State Street in, in Madison, Wisconsin. This is where my wife and I shared our first dance. We shared our first meal. And, uh, and so this is a, a postcard from, from the 40s. And on the back of the postcard, there's a, a UW student that writes, she, her name's Anne, and she writes to her friend Emily. Both are probably dead by now. And Anne writes to Emily, she writes, All I do is study, 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 you know, at the UW. And the note is of no interest to me. It's just one girl complaining to another girl. Because I have no idea who the two ladies are and why they're writing to each other. I, just, I, I have this for the picture. The letter on the back, I, I couldn't care less about. It. I just don't care. And it can feel like we're doing that here, right? Some of us open up the Bible, we're like, I don't know who this guy Paul is, who he's writing to, these people are. I'm, I'm reading somebody else's postcard here. And I totally get that. So let me just quickly introduce you. Paul is the author of this letter. He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. About 28% of the New Testament was written by Paul. 28%. Paul was originally an enemy of the church, terrorized the church. Uh, That is until Jesus Christ shows up to Paul and says, hey man, you're playing for the wrong team. Paul surrenders his life to Jesus Christ, submits to Jesus Christ, and then begins starting churches. He's an entrepreneur. He's He's a church planter. He starts many, many, many churches. Corinth This church being one of them. Acts 18, you can read it for yourself at another time, but Acts 18 tells us of Paul planting this church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a very difficult place to start a church. It was located in in southern Greece. Uh, It's a port city, so a lot of merchandise is is coming through Corinth. It's a beautiful area. If you look at this picture right here, it's a beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, During this time, during the time of this writing, it had a great economy, there was a great nightlife. It had a great arts district. It was like New York City, only with a prettier landscape. And this right here is where Paul starts the church in Corinth. He gets a few members. He creates a, a leadership board. He's with them for about 18 months, and then he leaves to go start another church, plant another church somewhere else. You think about it, 18 months that Paul is with him. That, that's not a very long time at all. These people in the church in Corinth really had to grow up in their faith fast. It was, it was just a few years ago that they had no idea about Jesus Christ. They had no interest in Jesus Christ. And now they're trying to, to run with a church in a culture that is positioned against the church. And so here, the church of Corinth, we got this little church, 50, 60 people, Right in the middle of a city with little morals. And that's a recipe for disaster. Things get rough. This church is a church gone wild. Congregants are suing each other. They're sleeping around. Well, We'll get to that later on in the book. They're getting hammered during communion. You know, if communion at church consists of, hey, another round on Jesus, you got some problems. That's not good. But this is what's happening in a church in Corinth. It needed a reset. It needed to hit that reset button on the church. It's so funny, I, I I hear church, like there's so many church critics today, and I hear church critics say things like, you know, the church today just needs to get back to being like the early church. You ever hear that at all? Uh, a lot of know-it-all like to say that stuff, you know, the church just needs to get back to being like the early church, and, and in many ways it, it does. I used to say that. I mean, the church in Acts 2 is just baller, it's an awesome church, but I sort of smirk when people say that, you know, if we could just get back to doing things the way the early church did them, it's like, uh, like. Court appearances, uh, sleeping around, drunk fest, fighting—like which which, which which church are you talking about? Hopefully not this one, because Corinth had some big, big problems. And Paul, who's their old friend, their their old mentor—they love Paul. Paul writes them a letter to reset the church and usher in a renewed normal. And this letter, unlike the postcard hanging up in my office, this letter is timeless. Because it addresses this little church, so it addresses you and the issues that you have and the issues that I have. We need this letter desperately. So as the lens of Scripture zooms in, we find ourselves entering a, a little port city nestled between the sea and, and, and the rolling hills. The sun setting dipping into the Mediterranean behind the the mountain, casting a a dark orange hue across the sky, stretching all the way to the Grecian hilltops. And as we enter the little town, townspeople are closing up their shops and families are starting dinners. Street taverns on the main strip are, are opening. The Roman temple prostitutes roam the temple courtyards looking for their customers The nightlife of this little pagan town is coming alive as the the sky darkens. It's a town that you and I will get to know much better as we stay here a few months. And there, somewhere in the town, a little church meets. Some of them are Jewish. Most of them are Gentile. Many in this church used to solicit those temple prostitutes across the street as a form of worship. Many of the women used to be those temple volunteer prostitutes as they served the temple doing that. But now they're together, their lives are changing, and they're sitting in church. It's a hodgepodge of people, very different backgrounds, different upbringings. Many are struggling to get along with each other. Lawsuits are pending in the courthouse down the street. Yet there they are, trying to do church without killing each other. When suddenly a messenger arrives, a letter from Paul Oh, this excites everybody. Paul's an old friend, a dear friend, a missed friend. And together, the church opens up this letter, reads this letter that will usher them into a renewed normal, a better normal, a renewed normal. And look what Paul writes them. Verse 10 of chapter one, he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind And the same judgment. Oh, can we just memorize it? Let's just keep this up here and just memorize this verse. Like, write it on our mirrors, recite this verse every time we want to argue with somebody, recite this verse before we post something on social media. Don't you want this? Doesn't this sound so refreshing? We're 2,000 years away from this divided church, yet we find ourselves in the same positions, don't we? We're very divided. Society is so divided. Our nation is more divided, and in many ways it's more divided than it's ever been. You know, riots and looting and storming the Capitol this week. I mean, come on, it, it is bad. What's worse is that the division outside of the church doors isn't just limited to outside the church doors. It's crept into the churches as well. Christians are calling each other out publicly. There's mudslinging. We're airing dirty laundry. Brother attacking brother. We're attacking the bride of Christ. That's dangerous. Attacking the bride of Christ. It's disgusting. There are people that we used to be close with. Come on, right? There's people that you used to be close with that you just don't want to see anymore. You have no desire to see them anymore. Circles of friends are shrinking. Churches are shrinking And each of us feel it. When our head hits the pillow at night, we know we're so divided. How do we heal? How do we close these emotionally charged divides in our marriages, in our friendships, uh, with our coworkers, in our church relationships? How do we close these emotional divides? There are so many of them. Where do we even start? Paul says it right here in this verse. This is, this is where Paul says, here's where I want to start your reset button. This is where Paul starts the reset. This is where you and I start our reset. To create unity, and these are, these are in the notes. I really hope you jot these down. To create unity, number one, you got to take out the trash. you got to take out the trash. Paul says, forget the lawsuits, guys. Come to agreement. Forget the fighting. Take out the trash. Get all of that out of the church. And come to an agreement. When I was a kid, uh, one of my friends, again, I grew up in Wisconsin, one of my friends had a barn. Uh, they had horses and they had sheep, and uh, they had this, this, this big, actually they had a few barns, but they had this, this barn, and, and they weren't like the, the cleanest people. Very nice people, um, but not, not like orderly, not, not clean. So this barn got really, really gross. I mean, horse manure and sheep scat caked the floor. Uh, There's hay on the floor that's rotting. Uh, random broken farm equipment, you know, piled in the corner. Nobody ever went into this barn. It smelled horrible. Horrible. So I helped my friend clean this barn out. It was it was it was so gross. And when we threw out the farm equipment in the corner first, and when we shoveled layers of of animal droppings under the hay, the rancid smell I mean, just made you gag. But when it was all done, it was it was so satisfying. It was it was clean. It was still a barn, but it it looked really nice. It, It was a refreshing feeling to have that cleaned out, and I wonder. Is your life that barn before it got cleaned out, relationally? Filled with junk and bitterness and resentment and envy and competition and hurt and pain are just caked in you. And at first you tried to you know, sweep it under the rug, fake it till you make it. You know. But then the, the things just began to pile up, and, and now there are multiple names of people that you just don't want to hear from. You just don't want to be around and see and, and it's, it's piling, and it's beginning to stink, and, and you, can, you can feel it in your spirit. And Paul says here, he says, put on some work boots, clothespin your nose, grab a shovel, take out the trash. All that trash you picked up in 2020, take it to the curb, that's a humbling thing to do, but do it, stop sweeping. See, that's our problem, so many of us, we're really, really good sweepers, so we don't take out the trash because we're just really good at sweeping. We'll just sweep everything under the rug. Any sort of you know, pain or any sort of conflict, well, we'll just sweep it and then smooth it over. you got that marriage glitch going on. That, that tough conversation needs to happen with your spouse. You need to get counseling. But that's really awkward. That's an awkward conversation. That's difficult. That's humbling. So let's just, let's just sweep. Sweep, 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 sweep. Fake the marriage that I want. As long as the pictures look nice, then we're good. Even though the story behind the Insta story is a very different story. Just go fake it with that friend. Even though there's a rift with that friend, just kind of fake it, you know. I'll grip my teeth with that coworker. So we'll just keep sweeping, 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 and we'll distance ourselves from people and more divides happen. As long as we just keep sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. It's like, it's like, uh, Dory, you <laughs> in uh, Dory's, what did she say? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. We spend our days singing, just keep sweeping, just keep sweeping, just keep sweeping, under the rug. The problem is we mentally trip over that lump in the rug. Oh, yeah, to their face. Everything's dandy, right? Oh, I'm okay. You didn't hurt me. I'm, 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 we're, we're cool. I'm happy. It's fine. And we tell ourselves that too, right? We lie to ourselves. It's fine. I, 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 I don't want to have that conversation. So I, Everything's okay. Problem is, is, two hours later, we're driving going. <laughs> That's trash. And your spirit and your mental state can only take so much. Your life is a barn caked with crap, years of horse droppings and rotting nasties just piling in your spirit. And then we wonder why we feel distant from other people. We wonder why we don't feel ourselves. It's because our spirit is filled with trash. Take out the trash. It's humbling, but take out the trash. Now, let me qualify this too, because so many people can really misunderstand what Paul's getting at. Paul is not talking about the people who, like, oh my gosh, everything that upsets them, they just got to blow up about. You know, I'm upset, so I just got to post. I got to shoot off an angry email. I got to shoot off an angry text. And then I'm going to sit at home and sulk as if I'm some sort of victim. "Eh, Poor me, I don't have any friends. It's like, oh, gee, I wonder why. Because you're an emotional jerk who has to air dirty laundry every time your feelings get hurt. That is not taking out the trash. Paul will get to that later, okay? That's not taking out the trash, though. That's just throwing your trash at other people, and that's why people don't want to be around you. Taking out the trash is very different than throwing your trash at other people. Taking out the trash is having that needed conversation. It's making amends, it's forgiving, and it's moving on. And I think it's high time, we as a society, we start doing that with each other, and we as believers, we have to lead the way in that. Paul continues in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, I've heard about what's going on in your church from from friends, there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Cephas is Peter, the friend of Jesus, the the disciple of Jesus, that's that's Peter. Or I follow follow Christ. So here's what's going on. Uh, During this time, um, they had uh, orators, uh, secular, uh, public orators, communicators, philosophers, and they would speak publicly. And, and they were known as the sophists during this time. And these guys were like the rock stars of this time. They were celebrities. Each orator had a fan base, and, and everybody would get really into it because the orators, they would debate each other, and everybody would get really into it. And, and we still do this today, right? We have our orators today. We have uh, Ben Shapiro over here. We got Bill Mayer over here. We got Don Lemon over here. We got Tucker Carlson over here, and we all identify with a different orator. We, we all follow or, or agree with, with, with one of those people. The issue, and that's fine. Like it's just, I guess it's human nature at some level. The issue is, is this church began doing that with the church leadership. So you have some of the church people going, oh, Paul's my guy. Yeah, well, I like Apollos. You ever hear Apollos preach? I follow Apollos. Oh, yeah, but Cephas, I mean, he was like Jesus' best friend. I follow, I follow Peter. Well, I'm better than all of you because I follow Christ. And again, we do this in the church today. You know, I'm, I'm Calvinist. I follow John Calvin. Well, I'm Armenian. I, I, I'm progressive. I'm conservative. I'm social justice. I like verse-by-verse teaching. I like topical preaching. I'm organic. I don't care. I'm a, we're a family that likes essential oils. Oh, we're a family that makes fun of families with essential oils, right? We just, we like to divide up, you know, identify a trend, develop our cliques, and then just kind of group up in the church, and all of that creates division, And Paul's saying if you want to create unity, he's saying this right here so clearly, stop categorizing. Stop with the categorizing. The the less we categorize each other, the less we find ourselves divided. The more we categorize, the more division. Now this doesn't mean that we don't draw lines in the sand when it comes to truth. We have to do that. Truth is key. We hold the line on truth. What scripture says, whether it's whether it, it agrees with culture or whether it goes against culture, what Scripture says is the truth. We don't compromise it. We don't blur that line. Truth is far too important. There are lines that need to be drawn. But here's what happens with Christians. It's happening in Corinth. It happens today. We get really line happy. We want to draw more lines. And at some point, the more you categorize, the more you divide, the more you're doing the work of the devil. That's the name. The, the, the word devil means divider. So, when you divide, at some point, you're just doing the devil's work for him. And Paul is saying, Stop with the categories. Is Christ divided? He's saying, We're all on the same team, guys. Every once in a while, um, I, I coach soccer for kindergartners. I don't know why I do this. I, I guess I do it because I, I, did, I wanted to be my girls, my, my daughter's first coach. And so when they get into kindergarten, I'm. I'm their coach. It's terrible. Um, the kids, I mean, so, so freaking cute. Uh, but, but, but they all, we all know this, right? The, the little kids when they play soccer, they all follow the ball around. And the first thing the coach has to teach them is, hey, guys, you're all on the same team, okay? Don't take the ball away from each other. You're all on the same team. Paul's having this conversation with his church. We're all on the same team. Stop taking the ball away from each other. We're all on the same team. And so, even the spiritual goody goodies, you know, in this verse that are saying, Oh, I follow Christ. No, I'm Team Jesus. Those people are wrong. And and, and it's funny because we all know people like this, right? They all want to sound holy. You know, self righteous people all want to say, Well, I follow. You might follow Peter, but I follow Jesus. They're wrong because they're talking like Team Jesus is against Team Paul when it's all the same team. Is Christ divided? Think of it this way, and I really hope this this image sticks with you all year. Uh, you know what this is? It's a it's a tuning fork, and uh, when you hit the tuning fork, it vibrates in a in a certain key, uh, perfectly. And so instruments will tune to the tuning fork. In fact, I probably make the uh, our production guys r- um, go crazy doing this. But let me let me see if you can hear this. Right. So you. It, it 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 rings or vibrates in a in a certain key. And so orchestras when they, when they tune, they tune to a tuning fork. It's, um, if they don't use a tuning fork, it's a mess. Like, so if you have, like if an orchestra gets together and you get all the, you know, the violins are tuning to the tubas and the trumpets and the flutes are, are tuning, you know, using each other over here, if they're all tuning as different groups to each other, as soon as the conductor starts the, starts the song, the song is going to be so off. Why? Because they tuned into each other. They tuned in as categories, as, as groups. Now nobody's in perfect tune. It's all of this competition, it's this chaos of noise as, as the categories are, are competing with each other and there's fighting within the orchestra. You need the tuning fork, and everybody tunes into the tuning fork. As soon as you get rid of the tuning fork, it's just it's all mayhem. And this is what Paul's getting at. It's the same with us, it's the same with this church in Corinth. When we try to tune in with each other, you know, okay, the conservatives in the church are tuning into each other over here, the liberals in the church are tuning in over here, it creates a mess within the church. This is why 2020 was the way it was, whether it was in churches or whether it was as a nation or as a world. You have different groups tuning in with each other, creating competition with other groups. And Paul is saying, Church in Corinth, you're doing that. Have you forgot about the tuning fork? And so let me just ask you personally, have you forgot about the tuning fork? Have you been more influenced by friends this year than by Jesus Christ and God's Word? Have you found yourself tuning to news outlets, to Hollywood, talk shows, social media, have you been eating that up, finding yourself getting angry after reading or watching some of that stuff, and tuning in less and less to Jesus Christ? See, I say this because so many Christians today are feeling so isolated, partly because of COVID, but also partly because we've been, we've been tuning our minds into different influences outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the one who binds us together. And this is how people fall away from church community. We saw this a lot last year. People are statistically falling away from the church because after a while, they feel like they're playing a different tune than the rest of the orchestra. And the truth is they are because they've tuned into something or someone else out there, maybe even something that sounds good, but it's not of Jesus Christ. And so now they're tuned into them and they're not playing the same tune as the orchestra and so they're feeling, they're feeling isolated from the church. That's a huge pandemic, and and we're in danger of that. How many of us spent last year going, I follow Trump, I follow Biden, I follow CNN, I follow Fox, and Jesus screams from the heights of heaven, I thought you follow me. Stop with the categories. Remember your tuning fork. Uh, verses 18 through 25, if, you, if you're looking at you know, your Bible, um, you can even see the headings there. Paul talks about the power of God, how people outside of Jesus Christ don't understand, don't understand the things of Jesus. And so what we meet about, what we're doing right now, what we're unpacking Scripture, what we talk about, what we give our lives to, what we submit to, it is foolish to people who, don't, uh, who aren't in tune with Jesus Christ. But we pick up in verse 26, though. Look at verse 26. I love the, the three words used in, in verse 26. Let me, in fact, I'll pop these up on the screen. Well, it says, Consider your calling. Consider your calling. Now, let me just read the rest of the paragraph to you. I'm going I'm to leave these words up here, and, uh, and we'll come back to this and unpack this in just a second. But let me read the rest of the paragraph to you. I want you to hear these words. This is so beautiful. So I want you to hear these words, okay? Verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards, not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us. I love that. You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let no one boast. But the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I I love that. I love that paragraph. Paul writes, as if he was writing directly to us right now. He writes, not many of you were wise. He's talking to me. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. And that's all true of us, right? And Paul says, but God shows you, ordinary you, to something extraordinary. Because of the gospel, because you are in the family of God, you eclipse the strong and the powerful and the noble of this world. Which is why he starts with these three words. So consider your calling. In other words, what he's saying is, start acting like it. Start acting like it, Church. You eclipse the noble, you eclipse the powerful, you eclipse the strong, you're in the family of God. Start acting like it. Stop holding on to the trash. Stop with the categories and remember who you are. Here's what Paul's getting at. To close the divides, and and this is so good. To close the divides in your life, the divides with your relationships, the divides in your dating relationships, the divides in, in your marriage, the divides in your family, to close those emotional divides. Paul is saying, practice the gospel. Practice the gospel. You want to bring unity to a divided world. It's the gospel that's going to do that. Consider your calling. See, how many of us see the gospel as merely something that happened to us, you know, Way back when. You know, Jesus died and rose again. Uh, we trust him, and so we get heaven, and that's the gospel. Okay, yes, but it is so much more than that. The gospel doesn't just save your soul. When it's applied, the gospel saves your relationships. The gospel saves your home. The gospel saves your attitude. The gospel saves your addictions. The gospel saves your finances if if it's applied, and in this context, Paul is saying, to unify, apply the gospel to your relationships. And you might be thinking, well, how do we do that? What does that even mean? You know, practice the gospel. It sounds like really churchy and really weird, Junior. What does that mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The gospel, simply put, is this. God loves you, but we walked away. We created a, a, a divide between us and God and there's no getting over this divide. God is so holy. We are so dirty. We could do good works all day long. It's not going to happen. We're not going to get ourselves across the divide. There's nothing we could do. We are doomed for hell. That is why Jesus came to bridge the divide. He died to pay our debt to bridge the gap. That's the gospel. Like Okay, great. What does that mean to practice the gospel throughout our day? It means what God did for you, you in turn do it for others. And and I'm not overstating this. This right here could be the catalyst for life change in you. This could be the biggest thing for you. See, the gospel includes to practice the gospel, you gotta love. You gotta love. You wanna practice the gospel? Start there. Love. God loves you. You don't deserve it. We've turned it down. We've resisted God's love, but God loves you. And once you embrace the love of God, we can't help but love other people. And that's where this starts. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, unity, right? We talk, how, many of, how many times at work or, or, or at church or with people do we hear, you know, oh, I'm so sick of the division. Let's just get along. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. That's all talk. Until you actually love someone that you disagree with. Conservatives, can you love liberals? And God does. And progressives, can you love conservatives? God does. Mask haters, can you love mask wearers, lovers? And mask wearers or mask lovers, can you love mask haters? Those of you who are social justice warriors, can you love those who have a different opinion on justice? See, that's where this all starts. Love is wanting unity. And that's the problem. Some of us, come on, let's just be honest with ourselves right now. Some of us don't even want unity. Oh, we say we want unity. We don't want unity. We'd rather be right. Unity to us, like the, the ideal situation, how many of us have dreamt of this? Unity to us is one day we just all wake up with everybody sharing the same opinion as me. Oh, come on, that's ridiculous. That won't bring unity. Love despite differences, brings unity. You can talk about unity all you want. You can sing kumbaya, wear all the shirts, raise a lighter, whatever. It doesn't matter until you love somebody who disagrees with you. And maybe this year is the year you just gotta learn how to love better. It's the gospel. Had God loved us the way we love each other, we'd be burning in hell. Thank God his love is perfect, and he calls us to love better. Love. But the gospel also includes confrontation, right? God confronts man in the garden. God confronts us. Now, let me just say this. Don't confront anybody. Don't confront anyone until you love them. And let me repeat those words for some of us, because some of us really struggle with that. Those of you who love confronting and love writing nasty emails and love writing nasty texts, you have no business confronting anybody that you don't love no business doing that. Make sure you are dang good at loving before you do this. Because if you don't do this, if you don't love when you do this, you're just whining and making things worse. Hashtag 2020. You cannot skip step number one. you got to start with love. But you also got to confront. It's part of the gospel. God confronted man in the garden, and God confronts us. There are, there has to be a time where you go to your friend, you go to your spouse, you go to you go to other people, coworkers, and you recognize the divide. That's confrontation. Confrontation is addressing the divide. Hey, there's there's something. This happened, and there's a divide. There's something between us. I don't want there to be. And, and maybe we won't come to full agreement, but can we just talk about the divide? That's confrontation. Confronting is not whining. Confronting may require you to humble yourself. That's that's I mean, right? Jesus coming to us. That was a humbling thing for us, for for him. So confronting for us is going to require some humility. It's not winning a battle. It's not making them think how how you think. It's addressing the division. Having that conversation and taking out the trash. Stop sweeping and lovingly confront. God loves us. He confronts us. Then what does God do? God forgives, right? That's part of the gospel. God forgives us. When God forgives us, we have no right to withhold that forgiveness from other people, we are never more like Christ than when we forgive. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive. Forgiveness closes the divide. Right confrontation addresses the divide, forgiveness closes the divide. It doesn't mean that you're going to wear matching sweaters and ride tandem bicycles with them. It doesn't mean everything's going to be all peachy with them, but what it does mean is that they don't owe you anymore. And the more you release them from their debt, the less they live in your head rent-free. It's just less division. And so God loves, God confronts, God forgives, and then God gives grace. Grace. Grace is keeping the divide closed. After God forgave you, he forgives you again, didn't he? And then he forgives you again. It's grace. And grace is that wonderful thing that keeps the division out. It keeps the divide closed. See, some of us Christians, we really, we really got to understand this. We are human And in church, we're a family. And what do families do? Families annoy each other, don't they? Families step on each other's toes. It's it's just what siblings do. And so you might be thinking, "Ah, it's so hard to have grace, it's so hard to forgive, because my brothers and sisters in Christ, they drive me nuts, they're so annoying. They're a bunch of wedgie givers and booger flickers. And what I say to that is welcome to the family. Welcome to the family, because that's family. We annoy each other, it's why we need grace. And God so generously gives us grace. Do you extend it? Or are you just that hard person who simply has to be right and and there's just no room for grace? Let me ask you to close this out. Are you practicing the gospel? Are you practicing the gospel? And if your answer is, I don't know, then I gotta follow that up. Do you really embrace the gospel then? See, we can't embrace God's love without it changing how we love God. And we can't accept God's forgiveness without forgiving other people, and we can't enjoy the grace of God without giving it away. That's how it works. We can't. With all of the divisions today, it's really got to make us wonder how many of us haven't embraced the gospel yet. How many of us see a church as a, as a social thing? You know, something, something we get from church is a good thing or, or church is a wholesome thing. So many people nowadays just see church as like a, like a, like a movement where just we, we do good things, whatever. But how many people sit in church haven't actually embraced the gospel? And that's, that, that's the so what. We start here. Have you, have, have you really embraced the gospel? Have you turned from your way? Have you surrendered your opinions Have you surrendered your need to be right? And have you started tuning in to Jesus? Gotten rid of all of the other influences and have seen Jesus as your main tuning fork, so to speak? Have you actually done that? Or this whole church thing? Is it just something you do? But in reality, you are most influenced by whatever's happening around you. The evidence of you embracing the gospel, the evidence of you embracing the gospel is you living it and you practicing it over and over and over. And I hope you chew on that. 2021 needs the church to really tune into Jesus Christ, embrace the gospel, and practice it. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for what you've done with us that you love us and we don't deserve it and we've resisted it and we've fought your love, but you love us. God, we even thank you that you confront us, that you address the divide, that you address the sin in our life because we need that. We get so dirty and we have gotten so dirty this last year. God, we thank you for your forgiveness, that you forgive us. God, we thank you for your grace. May we as a people, may we be a reflection of what you've done to us. And Father, we confess that so often our reflection hasn't been all that great. And may this year, may we be better at that. And so doing re, pushing the reset on our relationships and our attitudes and just all the junk in our life. And so God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us to take out the trash, to stop categorizing everybody, because we love to do that. And Father, may we practice the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.